Well, welcome to the Swipe Right Sermon Series. We are so glad to have you. Those of you at Fresh Life, those of you joining in at other churches, watching this online, come on, thanks for being here. We're talking about the life and death power of sex and romance. And you can be seated if you haven't sat down already. Uh, we're just so excited about this. And if you have a Bible for week one, we're going to begin in the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible. It goes Genesis and right away to Exodus chapter 15. And if you don't have a Bible, we're going to put the verses for you up on the screen. Uh, before we jump in at all uh, the lo locations joining in, just want to give you kind of a sampler, kind of an idea of what we're going for in this series. We're hoping, we're praying that through the weeks of this series that we will see God help us to regret-proof our marriage beds and our deathbeds. How's that? Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't you love to get to your deathbed and uh, to find out that as you lie there and you're just in your final moments here before your life on this earth ends, that as you look back over your life, that you're not just thinking of all the things you wish you would have done differently. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you just love it that if you would live carefully in the present, that you would arrive at a future and you would like what you get when you get there because of how you chose to make wise choices, skillful living while you were here. We want to pray, heaven help us, to regret-proof. Only God can do that. Regret-proof our deathbeds and our marriage beds, that those of us who are, who are single, that when we get to our marriage bed one day and, and we, look, we, we arrive there, that we would not look back and, and have regret over what we did in relationally, uh, our, our lives, romantically in our lives before that moment. And th those of us who are already married, that from this day forward, we would live in such a way as to not heap regret on our marriage beds. Amen? And that's how the language we're going to use from this day forward. That's the real heartbeat of this series. Because you know what? I cannot do nothing uh, about anything I've done up until this point, and neither can you. And so I'm not here to, to heap shame on you or to rub your nose in the carpet for all the stuff you did wrong. I'm here to fight for your future. I'm here to say from this day forward, it can be different. Amen, somebody? Uh, we just we believe in grace here, and we just believe that God uh, wants us not to, to, to try in vain to achieve perfection. Can't happen, won't happen. Good news is he's perfect, and he wants us to make progress. And so that's what we're after in the Swipe Right series. Now, as we jump into Exodus chapter 15 to kind of set the tone, set the pace for, for this, this launching off point, um, Moses has just successfully led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They were slaves there to a cruel king, and he was called by God to go into his uh, brother, honestly, his, his adopted brother, and to say, let, God says, let my people go. It happened for Moses after 40 years in the, in the wilderness by himself. But now he comes in and says, let my people go. And you know the story. Pharaoh's like, oh, uh, no. So, and, and Moses goes, bro. And then it got dramatic. And I don't have time to tell you about the blood and the flies and the lice and the dandruff, all the stuff that happened. It was... It was gnarly. Uh, but eventually, Pharaoh's like, get out of here. Just go. And so they leave. And, and you know, the whole thing. Then, then Pharaoh has, like, buyer's remorse under the decision. And he chases them down. The Red Sea gets parted. The children of Israel escape. And, and that brings us pretty quickly to Exodus 15, verse 22, where it says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness. And check this out. They found no water. Now, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. That word means bitter. Well done, naming committee, right? <laughs> and the people obviously were bitter about it because they complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? 
So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and if you do what is right in his sight, I guess you could say, if you would swipe right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. Listen to this. For I, God says to you, am the Lord who heals you. Is anybody thankful that we got a God who's a great physician, a mender of what is broken, a healer of what is in need of his healing? I'm calling this first message this introductory message that, by the way, this whole series, I am, I am hopelessly inadequate to convey to you what God has uh, given to me to put into this book. I mean, this is 55,000 pages, 200 plus pages. And uh, in the five weeks of, of this message series, I was overwhelmed because I thought, like, how do I get it all in here? And then God's like, you can't, so don't try. Instead, just kind of give a couple big thoughts and then hope and pray that people uh, want to go through this on their own. And I hope that you'll get into a small group. If your church offers connect groups or life groups or, or cell groups, or if they're called fresh life groups, that's a good name for a small group of people getting together. I happen to think those are great. Uh, maybe that you could then get together with a group of people, have a cup of coffee once a week and read this on your own and discuss it, and that our weekend times would just serve as, serve as sort of a catalyst for us wanting all to dive deeper as we learn how to protect the future by living carefully right now, that we would all learn to, like Moses was told, to swipe right, to live in God's sight, doing what is right in his sight. And that's our hope. I'm calling this first message, though, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. Water everywhere. Come on, turn to your ear and say, water everywhere. And then, and then respond back say, but not a drop to drink. And isn't that kind of just a bummer? Wouldn't the worst place to die of dehydration be just in the middle of the ocean? Wouldn't that just be so discouraging <laughs> to be so thirsty but just surrounded by, by water? And that's kind of the predicament the nation of Israel was in on this day. They'd come through the Red Sea, which is one of the driest, one of, one of the rather the saltiest bodies of water on earth. And uh, they, they passed through it, seeing all this salty water they couldn't drink. They were thirsty because all they had was what they brought with them out of Egypt. And now they come to, of course, this, 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 this mara, this, this water. And I'm sure seeing it in the distance, they were relieved. Because the text says they walked three days from the saltiest body of water on earth, the Red Sea, to get to Mara through wilderness. So they walked through dry country. And they're, they're parched, and they're dry, and they're thirsty, and they're dehydrated, and their lips are chapped, and they're sunburned. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? And now they finally, someone sees it off in the distance. A scout comes back and says, I found water. And everyone's excited. They're all singing Justin Bieber's song, cold, cold water. And they're thrilled out of their minds. And they get up to the water. And I'm sure, I'm sure some people just, do just dove in. You know what I'm saying? Like they just got in there. And they're, they're lapping it up. But as quickly as they took it in, they're spewing it out. Bitter, undrinkable contaminated in some way. What is this, Salt Lake? This is terrible. We can't, we can't drink this. And so now they're, now they're thinking, well, we know there's not water three days back that way. And, and I don't know what's that way. It doesn't look promising. And now they're bringing a complaint to Moses. And now they're discouraged. They're surrounded by water. But there's not a drop to drink. 
And I wonder if that's not just the, an appropriate analogy for us to begin our dialogue about how to navigate through our romantic decisions in this world, in this culture that we're living in at the moment. Because there sure is a lot of sexuality. Sexuality everywhere. A, it, it, we, we abound with options. And really, quite honestly, we are living in historic times. It's been said, seldom do people realize the historic when they're living through it. But how much the world is changing in every possible way. I mean, more change from the 1700s to the 1900s in the Industrial Revolution than in all the previous years of recorded history up until that point. You realize that? And more has changed in the last 30 years than in all the rest on a dizzying scale with the proliferation of technology. I mean, someone once said, all we used to want is to not die of the bubonic plague, but now we want a hot tub too, right? Like our goals have changed and our expectations for life and what the average square foot of the home and what people list out when they say, tell me what things you need versus want and, and just how many, now we need a microwave and now we need this and, and now we need that. Like there's so many things that you, that you need that we have to have because technology has brought them to us, especially living in America as we are. And there's a lot of swiping going on. A lot of swiping going on. They say that the average American checks their phone 150 times a day. 150 times a day, once every six minutes. Which means, and hopefully you can resist the urge unless you're writing down some of my amazing sermon points, but, but, but that means that you would check your phone, glance at your phone, look at your phone briefly, five times before my sermon ends. Five times. Every six minutes, we just, and they say it's happening so much that we're developing, many of us, something called phantom vibration sensation. What's that, you say? It's where you are sure you got a text message, so you grab your phone and check it, but you didn't. You're like, that's weird. I remember, oh, well, I'll just check Instagram. <laughs> I could have sworn I got a text, but now I'm on Amazon. <laughs> I, um, I was so positive. That's funny. I, I felt it. I felt, no, your brain's craving it. Because you get like a dopamine hit when you, when you get a text message, when you get a notification. Hmm, <laughs> someone liked me. <laughs> I like that. I like when you liked me. I, I like when you like, continue to like me. We like that. And our brain's like, that felt good. Do it again. <laughs> and so it's craving it. It's wanting it. It's needing it every six minutes. What are we doing to ourselves? Honestly, no one can tell you. Because it's all, the paint's all still wet. It's all so new. I mean, uh, I'm 34 years old. The World Wide Web kind of went really out there 27 years ago. And so there's not even, it's not even long enough for us to even understand what we're doing to ourselves in this great global experiment that we're called, that's called the internet, right? It's certainly not making us better drivers or conversationalists. That's for dang sure. Uh, the party was lit, the pizza is bay, winky face. What the heck did you just say? <laughs> Catch me outside, how about that? What are you talking about? That's not English. That's not communication. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> and what about when it comes to sex? What about when it comes to romance? What, what about when it comes to dating? Um, it, it used to be uh, that, that you would meet someone in a bar. You would meet someone in a restaurant. You would meet someone in a church. How's that for a novel idea? We'll talk more about that in this series. Uh, where, where you want to meet the kind of person that you want to date that will become a good grandfather? <laughs> Become a good husband, right? I think we're meeting people because they're hot. We're not meeting someone thinking follow through, thinking uh, 50 years, thinking 70 years, thinking till death do us part. But, but, but you think about how technology is changing that. 
um, thinking about uh, dating apps, dating apps. Because a while back, the internet uh, kind of affected and impacted dating. Uh, you've got mail, meeting someone through, through meaningful emails. But now that seems absolutely Victorian to think about that. Because it, what it did with, with dating sites, eHarmony, Match.com. But now it's gone mobile. Now you don't have to be at your computer. Now it's just an app, right? There's an app for that. And you have like OkCupid, you have, you have Hinge, you have, you have Happen, and the most popular of all, the, the 800-pound gorilla, of course, is Tinder. And Tinder is this app that introduced swiping to, to meeting people, swiping to sorting through, right? And, and, and some of you, this will be education. Some of you just, just pretend like you're very confused as I talk about this and make sure your phone's on mute so you don't get a Tinder notification while I'm talking because that would be awkward, right? <laughs> just every once in a while, I look at you and go, wow, that's cool. I never, never heard about that. That's crazy. And, and uh, so basically, it brings a, a picture of someone. And glancing at this photo, the question is, uh, basically, back to middle school now, is she hot? Is he hot? It's a superficial thing. It doesn't tell nothing about character. doesn't tell anything about responsibility. Are they lazy? Are they a slob? Are they honest, right? What, 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 what's their moral compass like? It just says, are they hot? Is she, is she hot? And, and, and little brief bio where they get to lie about who they are. And, um, and, and now you basically are saying, so snap judgment, gut instinct, yes or no. Swipe left on their face if no. Swipe right on their face if, if yes. And of course, Tinder brought this to us, but now the right swipe as a signifier is really going to kind of become bigger in our culture. And many apps have used it, commercials have used it. The other day, I was watching Jimmy Fallon, and Jimmy Fallon says, it's out of control, this, 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 this Tinder thing. He goes, my four-year-old, I tried to put her to bed, and she tried to swipe left on my face, right? So it's just, <laughs> it's become bigger in our, in our culture. And uh, they re recently, I read in Wired Magazine, Tinder re reached its trillionth swipe. A trillion plus times now people are using it. Uh, I read a, a, a rather disturbing piece in Vanity Fair about how this is living its way out now in our society, especially common in places like uh, Los Angeles and New York City, Las Vegas, uh, Provo, Utah, and Columbia Falls, Montana, places like that. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're young professionals who are career-minded, not really have time for a relationship, not, not really wanting marriage. Maybe they're, they, had, they got disillusioned seeing their parents' marriage not work, and they're like, oh, forget about that. I don't, I don't want that. I'm focusing on my law career. I'm focusing on my, my design thing. So, but, but still wanting sex, still wanting a little action, still, still wanting that, but just not wanting to get into a relationship. They'll fire up Tinder, and they said, by midnight, I can be sleeping with someone. Just a couple drinks, fire it up, boom, 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 swipe. Boom, 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 swipe. Yep, there's the chirp of a notification. I could go meet someone in person, or I could fire it up. I know I can get laid by the end of the evening. I have two, three times a week. It's, 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 here's, here's how they said. One girl said on, on this, in this article I read, most guys are not interested in dating. They are interested in hitting it and quitting it. I can use Tinder to hit it and quit it. And uh, no strings attached, casual encounters as easy as calling an Uber. And this is the world we're living in. And this is what technology has brought our way. But it's not just now dating apps, it's also pornography. Pornography, which is streaming at the highest speeds possible into just about every device in our life in this sex-saturated society where you can't walk down the street in Times Square without seeing semi-naked people all around you. Previous movies, naked, Netflix, no, oh, no, just everything's naked. Everything is naked. Like, it's just, we're just living in this world where it's, it's all the time. It's, it's as big as a, a building. And uh, I remember how hard it was, how difficult it was when I was in middle school to see a naked person. 
oh, I tried, right? I mean, like, like people are talking about it. I've heard about these naked people. Like, what's the deal, right? And, 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 and one of my friends, oh, my dad has a magazine under his bed, and I can sneak looks at it when he's not there. And, and eventually, a friend of mine, he said, hey, I have uh, found a box in my dad's garage where he keeps all his back issues of Playboy magazine. And so we waited for the day when his parents were gone, sixth grade, and, and I was exposed for the first time to looking through pictures. And I was like, this is very interesting. I was not aware of any of this. I asked my dad, I said, when did you first get exposed to uh, pornography? He said, I was, a, I was a senior in high school. And I was in sixth grade. So you see the compression there. And, 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 and get this. Uh, they say USA Today, I read this in USA Today, the average age now in America, a child is first exposed to pornography is now age six. Inadvertently on the internet. They, were, they didn't mean to. They were on the wrong thing on Instagram. They clicked this over here. This showed up in the pop-up there. They were, they, were, they, were playing the, they were playing the video game Mickey Mouse Clubhouse online, and all of a sudden, well, well hello, that's not normal. That's not interesting. 36% of the internet is pornography. At any given moment in our country, 1.7 million pornographic videos are being streamed. One out of three 13 to 14-year-old boys are a heavy porn user, with the average one watching 50 pornographic clips a week. There are porn detox camps for young adolescents who, who are, are addicted to these things and do not know how to stop even though they want to. And so this is the world that we're living in. So what, what's a boy to do? What's a girl to do living in the world? Because we didn't choose when we came. A lot of people love to berate millennials for lazy, berate the generation because of how they are. But let me just say something. No one ever got to pick when they were born. No, no one gets to, like, before in the womb, like, would you like to be born now? Would you love to go back to the Renaissance, right? Right? <laughs> Like, that, that wasn't an option. So, so, so we are living in the world that we're living in. The question is, what are we to do? And what I'm not suggesting in the book, what I'm not suggesting in the series is that we need to quit swiping. That's it. Get the ax out. Destroy the laptop. We are going Mel Gibson signs. We're going to make a fake little community and make our clothes and get a butter churn. No one's on the internet. How are you going to reach the world if you're hiding yourself from the world? I, that's Jesus. Last time I checked, he said we're meant to reach the world. So you got to be in it to reach it. So I'm not suggesting that you stop swiping. What I am saying is may heaven help us to swipe right. That's what we're praying that God would help us to, to live in his sight in a way that is right in the world that we are living in. There's a story before Moses was there leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. It was 40 years prior to that. And, and it was just a moment in time that really kind of was, was in my heart as I, as I wrote this book. And I hope and pray it will kind of just seep down into your heart as, as you go through this journey that we're on together. And here's what it says. It says, Moses looked this way and he looked that way. I guess you could say he looked to the left, right? He looked to the right. Should I swipe left? Should I swipe right? Should I do this? Should I do that? Because he had a great passion inside of him. Now, his passion, his desire was anger and vengeance, but feelings are feelings. And acting out of impulse, acting out of feeling, acting out of desire, this is impacting our love life and all of our lives. So feeling this feeling, looking this way and that way. Look what it says. He killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Why? Because he saw no one. 
No one was to stop, no one was there to stop him from doing what he felt, looking this way and looking that way. But what Moses failed to do, and what I'm suggesting that we need to do, is to look up. The coast is never clear. God's always watching and he loves us and he has a plan for us. And if we living in the left-right world that we're living in would look up, we'd be able to swipe right. And I'm praying that over your life. I'm praying that over your family. I'm praying that over your grandchildren. I'm praying that over my own heart. I don't write this from a place of having it all together. I write this, I write this because I'm a hot mess and I need this, the truth that is in this as badly as I need to preach it. And I'm, I'm, I'm praying that God would take us on a journey together and move our life forward. Heaven help us, right? Um, now you might be, you know, hearing this and you're, you're like, you should see some of your eyes. <laughs> like, wow, maybe you got brought in by a friend. Maybe you've never been to church before. Like, I was not aware this was what church is like. And, uh, or, or maybe you grew up in a church and, and you just at some point realized that, you know, you heard the Ten Commandments enough times. You, you got it. God hates you and is waiting to squash you like the cockroach that you are. And, and in your mind, God is like Mr. Wonderful. And because that's what the mean Sunday school teacher with bad breath was always wagging her finger at you and saying to you. And now you're all up in this joint and you, you started at the bottom, now you're here and you're, you're thinking to yourself, you're thinking to yourself, I, I didn't, I, I actually, I'm not, not sure a pastor should be able to talk like this. You mean a pastor can just like get up and talk like street level, like out, like hit it like it, like it is about what, what's really going on? Because in, in your mind, in your frame of reference, pastors are people who get up on the stage and answer questions passionately that no one's asking. Meanwhile, the real issues that plague our lives and are plaguing our families and destroying our marriages and wreaking havoc on our finances go unaddressed, but it ought not be because this book has a lot to say about the actual affairs that mess up our lives. God has something to say that is real and relevant and raw. And, and, and it's not just thou shalt not. It's not just thou shalt not. That's, that's not actually like how God wants us to think about life. That's not the beginning at all. And so first thing I want to say on record on behalf of, of God on this subject is this. Uh, God wants you to have amazing sex. So there's that. Like, like, what does God want for my sex life? Uh, he wants it to be banging. Like, he wants it to rock. He wants it to be wonderful. Because sex is a gift. Sex is a gift given by God to us to be enjoyed. It's actually the first gift he ever gave us, if you don't include the nap. Now, I do include the nap. Because <laughs> I love a nap. And, um, and, and God, in, in, in the Garden of Eden, he put Adam to sleep, the nap. And when Adam woke up, there she was, Eve. <laughs> Hey, girl, you come here often. Actually, this is my first time. I just came out of your rib cage, right? Right? It's awesome. And, um, and Adam, that's my impression of Eve. And I'm going to get to heaven. She's going to be so pissed, right? Oops, in your church, I shouldn't say that, maybe. Sorry. We'll edit that out for the YouTube. Okay, so listen. Um, Adam liked what he saw. We know that definitively because he wrote a poem. And as a male, I can speak with some reliability on the subject, you have to be really excited to write a poem, right? For sure. And here's how the poem went. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. 
It's like, what? Sounds like they're like the missing lyrics from a Drake song. Like, this is, out, this is hot and heavy, right? That's, that's, pretty, that's, pretty, that's pretty good, right? It's like, dang, man, Adam, that's good. Like, whew, I'm getting sweaty just, just, just listening to this happen. And God wasn't offended. God didn't interrupt the scene. Stop, stop, Adam, you pervert. Get your mind out of the gutter, right? I mean, he brought him a naked wife. I think he knew what was going to happen next. Just saying. And God gave this gift. He was the father of the bride. He, he brought her to give her away at the first wedding. Then as the, the pastor, he officiated the wedding ceremony. And God, from then till now, wants us to understand sex is a gift to be enjoyed. It's pleasurable and designed to be that way. Some people kind of act like, you know, it's just a necessary evil to get babies into the world. But God's a clever God. If he just wanted new human beings, he could have, like, Adam came from dirt. God could just sneeze on the earth periodically, and there could, be, there could be new people. He picked a way that feels really good. I know I've had some, and if the day goes well, I plan to have some more. And I think it feels really good, and I don't think God's embarrassed or angry that we figured out a way to enjoy it. In fact, there's a whole book in the Bible devoted to the joys of enjoying the bliss that comes from the sexual union. It's called the Song of Solomon. And there's random verses over the Bible, like in Proverbs, like, let your wife's breath satisfy you at all times. And I'm like, that's my favorite verse. <laughs> it's a great part of the Bible. So sex is pleasurable, but it's not just pleasurable. God knows sex is not just pleasurable, it's also powerful. It's also powerful. I mean, sex is powerful. And that's why God told us not just that we can have it, but how to use it. All powerful things are this way. You go buy a chainsaw, powerful, correct? And they're going to tell you how to use it. There's going to be all these rules. There's going to be stickers. They're so afraid of lawsuits. They're going to tell you all this stuff about how to not use the chainsaw, how to use the chainsaw. Now, do you immediately assume that Home Depot hates you? Oh, want to kill my fun. No, they don't want you to chop your freaking arm off, right? They, they, you understand that the rules are for your good. So why is it the moment something God invented that he holds the patent on? Because the devil loves to act like his, it's his idea. Like, yeah, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And God's like, yeah, kind of invented sex. So you, you think it's yours. I gave it to man to be enjoyed. You're just twisting and a warping because you're a thief and a killer and a murderer, and you have been so since the beginning. So hands off the merchandise. And uh, so God, God who, who, who invented it and gave it to us, why should, why should we think the moment he tells us how to use it that for some reason he wants to keep us from fun? It's because the devil's a liar. God wants to tell us how to use it because sex isn't just pleasurable, it's also powerful. So at the very moment it was first given to us, right then and there, God spoke into how it should be used. It's so short, you could tweet the thing. I mean, this is not a, a nine-language brochure that you're like, I don't even know about the fine print. Look what he said. He said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. How easy is that? A man leaving his parents, a woman who left her parents, coming together to form a new family, coming together before God under this covenant of marriage to form a new family, and the two then become one flesh. Jesus actually, referring back to the Old Testament, quoted it, affirming it, and then added this. And so what God's brought together, let no man draw apart. So it's, it's called the marriage bed. And God, here's, here's sex, and then he said, here's how to use it. Because fire is a wonderful thing. 
Fire can heat up your home, heat up your life, cook your food, propel a car down the road, internal combustion in the engine. But you take fire out of the carefully designed arena in which it should be, what can happen? Well, let's just take a little fire, put it in the drapes, shall we? Let's put fire in the closet. It will burn down your house. It will burn down a lot. Sex feels good. It's powerful. It's pleasurable in the right context. So God said, hey, here's sex. I invented it. Here's how to get the most out of it. Here's how to experience my best for your life. My, my, I don't want to have anything against you. I actually have much I want to give to you. So here's how to use it. It's pleasurable, but it's also powerful. So God told us how to utilize it, and we should lean into and not fight against how he told us how to use it, because Father knows best. His rules are for a reason. And anytime he would say, don't, you could finish it this way. Don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. All right. So, so big idea. Uh, it's not having a sex drive that's the problem. It's letting sex drive. H having a sex drive, that's how God made you. And for every desire, like if you have a, drive, a strong sex drive, testosterone, right? If you, yeah, that, that's, that's a good thing. God made you that way. And for every desire, there's a righteous fulfillment of that desire. God's not messing with you. He hasn't put any desire in your life for which there's no fulfillment for that desire. And Blaise Pascal actually uses that as an argument for God. Because all of us crave something that there's no fulfillment for on this earth. Immortality, eternal life. Every single person on this earth questions, where's my place in eternity, in the grand scope of things? What's the point? What's the significance? Why, if there's no God, would we look for any of those things? I don't desire a third hand. I never had one. But we all were created immortal, eternal in the image of God. And deep down, we know that, and we crave it. And there is a fulfillment for it. It's just not found in this world. It's found in the next one. You see? So every desire, C.S. Lewis uh, continued that argument on. Our desire for things that we cannot find on this earth means we must have been made for another world. So if your desire is in your breast for sex, then God put that there, and there's a fulfillment for that. So having a sex drive is not the problem. The problem is letting sex drive, which is what I, discuss, I discussed in the book is kind of our culture's approach to sexuality. Whatever you feel, do. No one should say no. Don't ever restrain yourself. I was in a spin class with my wife a while back, and, and uh, it, it, was, it was such a funny moment because the instructor, it was dark, and it was moody, and there was like, it was like a club on a bike, black lights and candles. And, and so we're in this class, and, and the instructor kept like shouting motivational things to us. And at one point, she just started yelling, trust your instincts, instincts, instincts. They'll never steer you wrong. They'll never steer you wrong. That's how people go to prison. <laughs> just do whatever you feel. Right, that destroys marriages. Just take whatever you want. <laughs> like that's, that's really bad advice, right? right? People love to teach that there's no God and we're just all animals, but then a human being acts like animals and we're appalled. Wow. What do animals actually do? Look at what animals do in the world. We know better because we've been given more. Letting sex drive, that's, that's a huge mistake. Don't take your hands off the wheel and let your desires dictate, dictate your, your decisions. We're going to talk a lot about this in the series. What happens when we do that? What does that lead to down the road? It feels good now, but what is that going? what kind of a person, what kind of character is that going to lead to when there's no deferring of gratification? If you have a desire, there's a righteous fulfillment for it. When God says no, he doesn't always mean no forever. Sometimes he just means not now, not yet. All right? But when you take what God's told you not to touch, you can prevent him from being able to give you what he wants you to have. 
And that's why the data comes back and tells us those who do not have a history of pornography and those who do not have previous partners tend to report higher levels of enjoyment of sex within marriage. That's why women, uh, if you have children, I'm telling, we warned you, cover your ears. Women, they're, they're, they are um, twice as likely to experience orgasm in a committed relationship, like the context of marriage, than as, as, as they would in a, in, a, in a casual encounter. God is not trying to keep pleasure from you. He has much for you. Think about what Time Magazine in 2016 in a cover story on unraveling what pornography is doing to us reported that there's a whole generation of young people who are, who are saying that when they get to be with an actual person and clothes are off and they're in the bedroom, they are finding themselves having no ability to perform at all. No, a diminished passion, a diminished response, a diminished desire. Sexually active singles have the most problems, have higher rates of depression. Those with consuming lots of amounts of pornography, poorer physical health, worse grades. It's, it's killing a generation. And why, Time Magazine said, is this happening? They said many of them, it's because their brain with the drug of pornography that's as addicting as heroin that lights up the same centers of the brain when, as drugs do. It's causing them to be conditioned to be only satisfied in certain contexts and a real aging human being right in front of them just doesn't do it anymore because this arousal addiction that's fed by images moving and pulsing and at the click of a button, a new person, at the click of, a, of, of an app, a new, a new situation, one person, the context that God intended for us to be pleased in, we, it just cannot please us because we trained ourselves to not be able to enjoy it. Sex everywhere and not a drop to drink. Reminds me of pineapples. Best transition in preaching history, for sure. <laughs> there is um, there's this great story, and it uh, is of when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, and it was 1492. But during the 1500s to 1600s, something uh, lit everybody up in, in Europe that had been discovered in the New World. And it was, uh, well, what are we going to call this thing? Because they brought it back to, to Europe, and it was... It looked like a pine cone, but it was juicy like an apple. And so they said, let's call it a pineapple. And people, people were freaking out over this mysterious alien-like fruit. And uh, they had to have them. But they were so hard to get because there were so few of them and how difficult it was to, to bring them over. And so it became the most glamorous fruit in the world. Today, William Sonoma says it's a fruit that's a symbol of hospitality. And that's how they sell us tchotchkes that look like pineapples. But at one point, it was the height of luxury and privilege. And it informed architecture. You'll go to Europe and you'll see, like St. Paul's uh, Cathedral in London, you'll see a gigantic pineapple there involved in, in art from the era because people just were, were smitten with this fruit. There actually was one point when the taste of a pineapple in your mouth would have been the defining moment of a person's entire life. <laughs> mm. It's good. <laughs> and get this, at its height, at its peak, at the peak of the madness, if we adjust for inflation, currency, the differences, a pineapple would be sold for $8,000. Wow. People wouldn't even eat them, though. 
They wouldn't eat them. And what I just did, they would, they, would be, they would never do that. They would tell stories. I saw a pineapple once, guys. I did. <laughs> and, and they would display them until they rotted, hanging on to it, right? They would invite people over to their house and have viewing parties. Can you imagine? People in your, in, your, in, your, in your formal dining room, all crowded around, and pineapple striptease? What is happening? <laughs> What's happening? Like, that, that, that was fascinating to people. So scandalous. I, don't, I, I actually kind of soothes me a little bit. Maybe I've just been binging on Netflix too much lately. It's hard. It's challenging because the countdown thing, that's what gets me. I'm just going to watch one more, then I'm going to go to bed. And then it ends, and you're like, oh, oh, oh 16, 15. I, I, oh, it's already going now. <laughs> just let it run. Just let it run. Can't, I would, oh, I missed it. Yeah, well, you know, I'm already into the next episode of Blue Bloods. I can't stop now, right? <laughs> but to sit around and stare at a pineapple, I'm going to do this this week. I'm just going to stare at some pineapple with my wife. <laughs> OK, stop. Listen. The pineapple hasn't changed a bit. One writer observed, it's today one of the least glamorous fruits. But nothing about the pineapple itself has changed, only our attitude to it. Maybe that's a perfect picture for what's happened to sex today. Because as God designed it, we would see sex happen in our lives only in one very specific, very guarded, very controlled context, the marriage bed. There would only be one person you would be naked before and unashamed. Out of all the billions of people on earth, you would be in a club so exclusive, it only has one member, you. And you two together would enjoy this treasure and this gift and this secret and this delight that like a fine wine would just get better with time. You would never be lying there comparing your partner's performance to the previous people you've been with. You would never be fighting against the images trapped in your mind that you looked at in sixth grade, but you can't forget because no one told you. It takes a second to look at a magazine, but takes years to forget what you saw. You would never be hoping and praying that the rash that your partner has isn't that something that you gave them that you brought into the relationship from yesteryear. You see, it would be this wonderful thing that would be so exotic, so, so wonderful, so noteworthy, because it's so special. And the pineapple now is easy come, easy go. And if sex is everywhere, then no wonder we come up to situations where we feel like it's, I'm surrounded by it, but none of it's fulfilling. None of it satisfies. In fact, there's a woman in the Bible who encountered just such a state. She'd been married five times and divorced five times. And she was so disillusioned. Sex everywhere, husbands everywhere, but not a drop to drink. They would last for a while, they would be exciting for a while, but then eventually it would get stale, it would get old, and we don't know all the backstory, so we can't judge her, but we just know that she had come to a place where she was so disillusioned, she gave up on the notion of ever finding the right one, and she just settled, instead of Mr. Right, for Mr. Present. So she shacked up with a guy, and uh, she's, she doesn't have a lot of friends, and we're just, we're just so sad for this woman, the more we hear about her. And Jesus met her one day, and he showed her love, and he looked her in the eyes, and he, he, he spoke to her as though she had value, because she does. And he cared about her as a daughter, as a, as a child of the king, as someone created in the image of God. And he, he looked at her like he looked at you, and he told her this. He said, honey, whoever drinks of the water of this world will just get thirsty again. You're drinking from the wrong water. It's bitter. What you're experiencing, the bitterness, the, the disillusionment, is because you're, you're looking to something on this earth to do for you what it cannot do. 
And then he explained, he, he gave the, 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 the parables allegory in, 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 in being uncoded and, and unpacked. He, he said to her this, he said, if you would drink the water that I would give you, you will never thirst, but it would become in you a spring, a fountain, a river gushing out with torrents of living water. You're looking for something on earth to do for you what only I can do for you. And what I came to church this weekend to tell you is that the cross can make what is bitter become sweet. That's what God can do for you no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. That's why, listen to me. That's why God told Moses in response to the bitterness of the water at Marah. Look at, look at this. This is so special. This is so powerful because it was pointing to Jesus. God said to Moses, look at this tree. The Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters that were bitter became sweet. Why a tree? Why a tree? Oh, it's Genesis 3 the knowledge of good and evil hanging on a tree. And that tree that Moses threw in the waters, that tree is pointing forward to another tree, a tree made of two pieces of wood assembled together in the New Testament that the Son of God would leave heaven and come down to earth and be nailed to and die upon. The tree in the water can make what is bitter become sweet. If you don't know Jesus, this series isn't for you to have a better relationship or date this way or make these changes to what you consume. This is for you to come to know Jesus so God could put the tree in your life so what is bitter could become sweet. So where there's death, there could be life. Where there's sin, there could be forgiveness. Where there's hell, there could be heaven. So God could come into your life and forgive you and make you a new person and give you a new heart and give you a new start. And then out of that relationship, not to earn his favor, but because you have it as a child of the king, you could approach sex and approach marriage and approach dating and approach relationships with a different spirit, doing what is right in God's sight. He could help you swipe right. Today's the day. and now is the time God loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. He's the God who can do the impossible. He's the God of miracles. And so I want to end with this question. Would you like to give your life to Jesus? Would you like to be forgiven? Would you like to know that, that beyond the shadow of a doubt, when you leave this world and die, that you will go to heaven? I'm so thankful that look, when I spent my middle school years looking to girls, looking to pornography, looking to drugs, looking to drinking, to bring something into my heart, I found it was bitter. I was always looking for more. It's like drinking ocean water. You just get thirstier the more you drink. But then as a freshman in high school, someone told me about the tree. Someone told me about the tree that you could throw in the water, said Jesus died for me. I gave my heart to Christ. It's the best decision I've ever made. And I want that so badly for you. So if you wouldn't mind, bow your head with me, close your eyes, all of us praying. All of us considering, where am I at with God? And would I like to get right with Him? Do I sense His Spirit calling me to Him right now? Not condemning me, but offering me hope, offering me life, convicting me of my sin so He could forgive it. And if you're here and you want to give your life to Jesus, in a moment I'm gonna pray with you and then give you a chance to raise your hand in the air. And if you would like to experience living water, like a river coming through you, I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud to God. I'm gonna ask the church family at every single location to pray this with us, to show we're standing with you, proud to be family to you. Say this to God, say it out loud from your heart. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't fix myself, 
but I believe you can. I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. Come into my life, make me new. I give myself to you. Help me walk with you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for this teaching from the Swipe Right series. And if during that message you made a decision to give your life to Christ, we just want to say congratulations. And if you go to freshlife.church, you can go up and click the Know God tab, fill out the information there, and we would love to send you some resources that's got a Bible and some other stuff in it just to kind of help you in these next steps in that relationship. And if your life has been impacted in any way through Fresh Life, we would love to hear about it. So on that Know God tab, just click the Share Your Story link. Let us know what's been going on. And those stories are like jet fuel for our team here and for the Fresh Life family. If God has worked in your life through Fresh Life and you want to partner with us financially, all you have to do is click the Give tab and you can fill out the information there and either set up recurring giving or uh, just give a one-time gift. Thank you so much for joining us for this message and we will see you next week.